0: Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a deep dive into pedestrian safety. Tucson has a problem on its streets. The pedestrian death toll has been rising in recent years. It's something cities across the country are grappling with, but finding the reasons behind the trend isn't so simple. We're spending this week's show with AZPM reporter Nick O'Gara, looking at the issue through the lens of law enforcement, transportation, urban planning, and history. He talks with people working to understand the situation and find solutions. To start, we head out onto the streets.
1: I'm on a corner of Fort Lowell near First Avenue. The early afternoon sun cuts glare through buildings and across the five lanes of traffic, passing at 40 miles per hour, give or take, there's some construction on the south side of the street. David Smith wants to talk about this intersection.
0: I, um, I have a four-year-old kid, and so I'm teaching him, you know, stop and look both ways.
1: Smith owns a shop on this corner. He's been here more than two decades.
0: I just, I worry about it. I worry about it all the time, because I somebody crashed into my building right here, twice. That's the break in the curb right there. You know, and you just think about the, the danger that you're in, not just when you're crossing the street, when you're walking parallel to the street, people are gonna leave the roadway and just nail you. you know? So it's a, it's a scary moment.
2: So what brought us here is this is one of our hotspots. This is one of the locations that is highest in our crash data for pedestrians and overall crashes.
1: That's Tucson police captain Diana Duffy. She became the traffic safety coordinator about six months ago, a new position that she said was created in part because of the increasing number of pedestrian deaths on Tucson streets. She says this intersection has a lot of features that make it a hot spot for pedestrian and bicycle crashes. There's a clinic across from us offering methadone treatment and counseling that has people coming and going on foot.
2: You see it across the city at different locations where there's services, or you see it at convenience stores. Um, things of that nature that bring in a lot of pedestrians, they will tend to cross mid-block because it's the path of least resistance. It's, it's easier than walking a half a mile down to the crosswalk. And so that's what we're seeing across Tucson.
1: Duffy says the clinic reached out to TPD to do something about the road danger to its patients. If you look down the street, there's a crosswalk with a signal one block away. But Captain Duffy says people simply aren't using it.
2: Really, we're trying to address this here, trying to get them to use the crosswalk until the new one's installed, trying to get people to slow down and pay attention in case someone is crossing mid-block.
1: After the interview, I saw at least four people hopscotching the five-lane road at the same time mid-block. Captain Duffy says this intersection is a good starting point to understand a disturbing trend. It's getting more and more deadly to walk around Tucson. As of late October, 31 pedestrians had died on Tucson streets, according to numbers provided by the Department of Transportation. That's about one fatality every nine and a half days. Even if no more pedestrians die this year in Tucson, city transportation department numbers suggest that we've already seen a 180% increase since 2014. That year, there were 11 pedestrian deaths. More people have died this year than all of the pedestrian fatalities last year, and November's just starting. This is something the whole country is wrestling with. A report from the Governor's Highway Safety Association says nationwide, pedestrian fatalities went up 35% between 2008 and 2017, not long before there had been a decades-long decline. And that's all while riding in cars appears to be becoming safer. A recent nationwide report said fatalities decreased for nearly every type of vehicle last year, but fatalities increased for pedestrians and cyclists. Pedestrian deaths are going up and all other traffic deaths are going down. And while this deadly trend is happening all over, last year, Arizona ranked second in per capita pedestrian deaths. Krista Hansen is the lead planner in the bicycle and pedestrian program at the Tucson Department of Transportation.
3: We're seeing an epidemic on our arterial roadways, and those are roadways of speed limits that are 35 miles an hour and higher. There are six lanes and more.
1: To help frame the thinking about the epidemic, she says she likes to remind people that basically everybody walks at some point, usually every day.
3: When you're imagining your grandchild walking on the road, your your friend, your coworker walking biking, you know it's recognizing that these are people and we're all trying to get to places that we need to go and we're going to take probably the quickest route that we can to get there.
1: Well, she says this is a community-wide issue. It does have an oversized effect on lower-resourced groups.
3: Across the country, we see that people who uh, lack access to a vehicle, live in poor areas, are dependent on transit and walking, um, are dying at disproportionate rates compared to um, the rest of the city. And so I think I definitely would say that it's a social equity issue.
1: Hanson and Tucson Police Captain Duffy are both looking into solutions, and their departments are working to coordinate efforts in education, enforcement, and planning. A big part of figuring out what to do about the problem is trying to understand why it's happening, and they both say it's not easy.
3: I feel like that's that's the major question that across the country people are looking
2: at. I don't know that we have a single why. I Honestly, I wish I could have figured it out. I think it would have made my job a little bit easier. So.
1: Arlie Adkins is an associate professor at the University of Arizona studying transportation systems. He's looking at aspects like design, health, and behavior. He says there don't appear to be simple answers for why streets are getting more dangerous for pedestrians, and that it's probably more useful to think of it as an interaction of different factors.
4: We've seen an increase over the last several years in the amount of driving that's happening. Um, So after almost a decade of a decrease in vehicle miles traveled, um, we're seeing that starting to tick up again. Um, We're also, I think, seeing in some places more people who are biking and walking, that mix Can create a more dangerous situation.
1: And he says there can also be an effect on perception of street users as technology improves for vehicles.
4: Because cars generally have gotten safer, Um, drivers maybe they're feeling quite safe and, in fact, are quite safe. You know, if they even if they do crash into another car, um, they're, you know, fairly likely to survive. Um, Whereas obviously
1: the pedestrian doesn't have an airbag. Pedestrian deaths are going up, but it's difficult to determine what factors lead to this deadly reality. Some
0: of those factors could be that we're driving more and walking more. It could also be that Tucson streets aren't well lit or that the city doesn't have enough crosswalks in the right places. During the summer months, is it too hot to walk a half a mile or a half a block to a crosswalk? And then, of course, there are the many-laned high-speed roadways. Is it simply the consequence of years of car-centric planning? For the next piece of our discussion, Nick O'Gara turned to a national expert.
5: There's a lot going on. It's a very complicated thing, and I'm very cautious about anybody who has a simple answer. Peter Norton is a historian at the University of
1: Virginia who's interested in the interaction of streets, vehicles, and people. He wrote a book
5: called Fighting Traffic if you just look at a limited segment of this complicated picture you can easily conclude that it's a relatively specific problem like distracted pedestrians for example but i think you have to step back and look at the the full picture and it gets more complicated i asked norton to break down some of those
1: larger factors he says some of the discussion is around the growing number of SUVs on the road. A report says the rate of SUV involvement in pedestrian fatalities is increasing faster than it is with passenger cars.
5: If you get hit by a sedan or a or a compact economy car, you'll probably tumble off the hood and be injured, but okay. If you get hit by an SUV, your chances are a lot worse. So that's a big factor.
1: Another big part of the discussion is distracted driving.
5: We also have a lot more people looking at devices while they're going around on their business. And if a driver does that, they can become lethal very easily before they even know it.
1: Norton says it's important to make distinctions when talking about distraction.
5: A lot of attention has been going to distracted pedestrians. Only I think it's very important to point out that when somebody's walking and looking at their phone, they are not endangering anyone else but themselves. You know, they're not in a position of responsibility the way somebody is who's driving a one-ton vehicle around. Most of the pedestrians who are killed are not killed at intersections or in crosswalks. And so this leads a lot of people to what I think is a simplistic answer, which is pedestrians aren't following the rules. There's a good possibility that you're listening to this in your car.
1: Would you consider traveling where you're going right now on foot? What would it look like if you had to get out and walk? Have you ever crossed a street outside of a crosswalk? Do you, as a pedestrian, always follow the rules?
5: The thing is, particularly in Sunbelt states, in fast-growing suburban areas, it gets very hard to walk anywhere especially if you're particular about following all the rules we're practically isolating anybody who's not in a car and once you've isolated them they're kind of forced to improvise they need to figure out how they're going to get across a street that may not have a crosswalk in either direction for a quarter mile or more and uh, this makes uh, life for the pedestrian uh, very difficult
1: once again it's not simple but To get a better understanding, Norton suggests we do the work to distinguish between things that have long been a factor, like visibility, he says, and what might have changed recently, like more SUVs on
5: the road and greater distraction among drivers. So it's a complex interaction. I mean, for a lot of people, the way to stay safe is to stay in a vehicle. This is actually our favorite way of keeping children safe, strangely enough. Um, Children used to be a large, an enormous part of the pedestrian casualty problem, and a lot of parents simply have solved the problem by confining their children inside vehicles when they're going anywhere outside of the home. And that's a life-diminishing thing to do to a child.
0: That was University of Virginia historian Peter Norton talking with AZPM's Nick O'Gara. This week we're exploring the reasons behind a dramatic rise in pedestrian deaths on Tucson streets. AZPM reporter Nick O'Gara investigated the trend and is with us now to talk about it. So Nick, we get this sense that explaining why this is happening is complicated.
1: Yes. People I spoke to mentioned lots of factors. They talked about street design and substance abuse. They talked about more driving, more SUVs, maybe more people are walking and increasing distraction, more cell phones, nobody's ready to put their finger on that one thing and say, this is it. This is why. The last thing we heard from historian Peter Norton is that for many people, staying safe just means getting into a car. Uh, That's clearly not a solution for people who won't do that or people who can't do that. Tell us a little bit about your reporting. What
0: kinds of data did you dig
1: into? What originally drew me to this was simply looking at publicly available numbers from the city and just noticing that not only is it dangerous for pedestrians, but it's getting worse. Some of the people I talked to describe their concern about a certain kind of complacency that maybe some people in the community consider it a given that it's difficult or dangerous to walk in Tucson. And quite outside of work, I've heard people in Tucson sort of casually mention it, that it's really dangerous to be a pedestrian here. So I think in a way, this increase really is a gut check uh, because it's not just the status quo, however disturbing that status quo was.
0: So what kinds of solutions is Tucson working on?
1: So Tucson police, for example, are doing public service announcements.
0: Drivers, not all pedestrians will be this easy to see. Use extra caution when approaching intersections or crosswalks.
1: They're targeting everyone on the road.
0: Pedestrians, be sure to cross at intersections or mark crosswalks when available.
1: Captain Diana Duffy says this is part of a broader campaign, uh, one that she's helping coordinate. So that's one part, education both through awareness campaigns, but also with officer interactions on the streets with drivers and pedestrians.
0: So remember Tucson, whether walking or driving, look out for each other.
1: And she says the other two important elements are enforcement and engineering. The police department has identified high crash corridors for targeted enforcement. And she says it's her job to line up efforts among the different police divisions and work with the Department of Transportation for engineering changes, like lighting or a new crosswalk. Uh, She says that's what they did at the intersection where we started the show.
2: Yeah, that's reflecting what we're trying to do. And in working with TDOT and working with specific locations, working together with the community that this isn't just an education or an enforcement issue, that we can cite someone or educate them all day long. But there's some other environmental changes and some engineering stuff and honestly, some community ownership that needs to take place here in order for it to work and make it safer for everyone in the community.
1: So TPD is painting it as sort of a joint community effort. Pedestrians need to pay more attention. Drivers need to pay more attention. The police and transportation departments are prioritizing certain areas, and the police also carry out prioritized enforcement and education. Captain Duffy does say the department has handed out more than 10,000 distracted driving citations since March of last year, but that it doesn't seem to have had much impact given that people are still on their phones in traffic. All the more reason that enforcement is only one aspect, she says. Krista Hansen, the bike and pedestrian planner, says there has been a culture shift at the transportation department and at the city in general. She says the priorities are changing.
3: So just starting to shift that conversation is is huge. And I think um, having buy-in from our mayor, our council members, Having support for that, having the community really standing behind it and saying, we want this and we want safe streets and we want streets designed for people is all huge. So all these components kind of come together, I think, with our culture shifting within the city. What does that
1: look like? The city has a few plans in the works, many of them overlapping. Right now, Hansen says they're working on a pedestrian safety action plan they intend to finish this year. And she says it's sort of a roadmap out of this continuing rise in fatalities through crash analysis, through prioritizing high crash areas, and looking for countermeasures. They're also working on a mobility master plan, and all of that inside of a larger, longer-term traffic safety plan. That's a lot to work on all at once, and presumably it'll take not only time but money. Can the city get all that done? Voters recently approved a bond package to pay for park and connectivity projects. That includes things like bike boulevards and linking up non-vehicular infrastructure. Hansen says they're also taking advantage of repair projects funded by a previous bond package in order to implement some slowing measures and add bike lanes. The city council also recently adopted a so-called Complete Streets Ordinance, and that's meant to guide street design in the long term to improve mobility for anybody who may be using the streets. Hanson says a good example of complete streets is a plan that's already underway for South 12th Avenue between Irvington and Drexel that's referred to as La Doce. They're doing things like removing traffic lanes for cars and adding bike lanes and murals and improving sidewalks. She says one of the things that that project does is slow traffic down. And this came up over and over again with people I talked to.
3: And, and I think any time that we're designing for reducing speed, we know that speed is the major contributing factor in the in terms of whether someone will survive a crash and you know there's this common kind of stat that if someone is hit by a car driving 40 miles an hour um, their chances of dying are eight times more than if someone was hit by a car driving 20 miles an hour
1: here's u of a associate professor arlie adkins again common phrase that's used is speed did not appear to be a factor
4: Um, and i've been trying to get that language changed where possible because it may be correct to say that speeding was not a factor, which means you know, the driver was going within the speed limit. Um, but when the speed limit's 45 miles per hour and it's late at night, just physics will tell us that speed was
1: a factor, uh, even if the driver was not exceeding the speed limit. Speed is a more structural factor, and he says zooming out on factors like that helps avoid pointing the finger at one thing or one person. And like the example
4: of the opioid use or the, the pedestrian who's had too much to drink. Yeah, those are problems, um, but I think it's easy to blow those issues out of proportion when the problem that we have is much more systemic and um, needs to be addressed on a much more fundamental level in terms of our transportation system, because we're always gonna have issues like that in a society, Um, so it's how we accommodate them that matters.
1: So by that thinking, he says, there are design-centered approaches that would be aimed at accommodating the behavior of people who use streets and intersections, and that could include people who might be high, people who might be drunk, or emotional, or distracted, or angry, or elderly, or children. Both Adkins and Hansen say there are ways to slow down cars in Tucson that still get people where they need to go. One of those is something called signal optimization. So as an example, you know, if you're driving down Speedway and you're having to stop
4: at every single red light, even if the speed limit is 35, 40 miles per hour, your average speed over, you know, say three miles on Speedway is nothing near that. So if we're able to invest in upgrading our signal technology, so that the signals are coordinated and you're not having to stop as much, we can actually lower the travel speeds um, to you know, 30 miles per hour,
5: which would be much safer, and still get people where they're going just as efficiently. Speed is really the, the number one enemy of pedestrian safety.
0: That's Peter Norton, a historian and traffic expert. But if we really shouldn't mix cars with pedestrians, how is any city in the US going to lower pedestrian deaths?
1: Norton says it can be useful to go back in time to understand this problem about 100 years ago, when it was first being recognized as a problem. He says then the assumption was that the fault was the cars. After all, this machinery was the new
5: lethal element in the mix. And in that mentality, the solution was to slow drivers down, to slow vehicles down, and to protect pedestrians' rights of access to the street because they were entitled to the full street and that's a way of looking at the problem that has some interesting implications that are relevant today one of them is it makes walking a lot more inviting in some places we would should be seriously considering making walking much more inviting
1: he says that would help address a national epidemic of health problems related to inactivity on top of the positive effect it would have on pedestrian safety But speed on Tucson's thoroughfares is something that drivers might not be eager to give up. After all, there's no crosstown highway, as people sometimes point out, and speeds need to be high enough to convey commuters across town in a reasonable amount of time. Also, bus ridership in Tucson is at a 10-year low, so surely that shows that Tucsonans would rather drive. There's a lot of
5: sloppy talk about what people prefer, and my claim is we don't know what people prefer because we haven't given them a chance to have a level playing field of choices. It would be like if um, you had a buffet table and you had some limp browning spinach and you had a beautiful array of pastries and everybody takes the pastries and nobody touches the spinach and you conclude, well, you know, we can't get people to eat healthier food, so why bother trying? Of course, what you have to do is make sure that people have some attractive fresh vegetables at the buffet table, and if you do, people will eat more of them. Well, I think it's a lot like that in our transportation choices in cities, and Tucson's very typical in this respect, uh, namely that we give people the alternative between driving or struggling with some very unattractive alternatives. and It's not surprising that in that kind of a setting, when people realize they're going to have to have a car and they get one uh, and there are no good alternatives, well, if they're going to be stuck in traffic because of um, congestion, naturally, they will say they prefer to widen the road and add an exit ramp because now that's the world we've made for them. That's the world where um, the only choice is to drive. The city is working on some widening projects
1: like expanding grant to six lanes. It's the same for the upcoming Broadway widening project. These were both approved by voters back in 2006 as part of the much bigger regional transportation authority plan. But when cities want to accommodate growing populations or speed
5: up traffic for drivers, Norton says
1: widening might not be the solution they're looking for.
5: Um, The drivers don't really benefit when you widen the road now because it quickly fills up with new drivers because, Uh, suddenly it's possible to live further from your work destination, uh, and now that means there's more traffic on the road than before, and you end up, it's like a dog chasing its own tail. You never catch up. Norton
1: says we should instead consider a vision of a city that supports all kinds of transit, including
5: pedestrians, and he says that idea isn't that far out there. There was a time when the idea of giving drivers priority almost everywhere and redesigning the urban environment so that they can drive and drive quickly and park when they get to their destination was a crazy idea a hundred years ago the fact that people interested in selling automobiles and in that and in related businesses managed to make that transformation happen means that it's possible to have transformations that are so big they're hard to imagine. Possibilities like a walkable, bikeable, transit-friendly city where cars are a useful supplement but not the primary way of getting everywhere.
1: So what would Norton suggest that look like in Tucson?
5: You're not going to build your way out of these problems with uh, more interstate highway lanes, more uh, major traffic lanes.
1: Norton says instead, we should consider aiming for areas of what he calls attractive density. Basically, parts of town where people don't need a car to get around for work or for fun, shopping or daily needs.
0: So, Nick, if understanding the problem from Norton's perspective requires looking back 100 years, would it also mean waiting 100 more years for Tucson to drastically redesign itself?
1: Well, not necessarily. Norton says we start now by gradually converting segments of our high-speed streets to higher-density, lower-speed areas. The model he describes involves everything from the street design to housing and zoning. In all, Norton's approach to pedestrian safety is an approach to making cities healthier and more resilient in general, especially as we face the impacts of climate change. One key there, he says, is to reduce the number of people driving. And the best way to do that is to give them choices.
5: Drivers will win when we give people choices, because some people will choose to do something besides driving, and that will make the roads more tolerable for the people who choose to keep driving. Nick, tell us a little bit more about the
0: reporting of this story.
1: It's been eerie. Uh, it's been something I've been paying attention to for a while. But since I started reporting it and talking to people, uh, more and more people have been killed while walking. And so it makes it a little strange to come in to work in the morning, a little worried about opening up my email even. Wondering if it's happened again.
4: Oracle in Fort Lowell is closed right now because of a pedestrian being hit and killed by a commercial truck. Wondering who's wow. next. Tucson police now say the driver who hit and killed a teenager might have been speeding.
0: So after hearing all of that, remind us again what Tucson is doing to
1: work on the problem. Krista Hansen from the Bike and Pedestrian Program says there's been a sort of culture shift in conversations happening around city offices. They're working on these overlapping projects like the Pedestrian Safety Action Plan, and there have already been some other concrete steps like the Parks and Connections Bond and the Complete Streets Ordinance. And TPD is focusing on education and enforcement, and they'll be measuring outcomes and coordinating with the city as it moves forward with its safety plans. Nick, thanks so much for your
0: reporting. Thank you. And that's the buzz for this week. Next week, we'll have an extended conversation with outgoing Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.